Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine, that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching a Resurrection Sunday message from John chapter 20, and the message is called, The Church is Not on Defense. We hope you are blessed by the message today. All right, while we're getting settled in, why don't you guys turn to John chapter 20. We're going to pick up in verse 11. The title of the message this morning for this Resurrection Sunday is The Church is Not on Defense. The Church is Not on Defense. And we're going to look at the traditional story from the perspective of the Apostle John. So that's what we're going to read in our text of John chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. And we have several places that I want to take you this morning in order to really prove to you that the church is not on defense. And if you are in Christ, then you are, that is the absolute best place that you could be in this world today. With everything that we have going on, all the opposition, all the threat... We need to be in Christ. So on the third day after his death, sometime early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and a few other women came down to the tomb of Jesus and saw that his body was not there. And then we pick up in verse 11. It says this, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let's pray together. Thank you for your grace this morning, our Father. Thank you for the sunshine. That, what a gift. What a gift to know that this church family is a family of genuine believers pursuing after Jesus together. Only by the grace and the power of the gospel are we any different than anybody else. And the only difference is that we are forgiven of all of those sins and have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Thank you. And I thank you for the resurrection of Jesus, and we do remember that this morning. We are giving our full attention to that particular topic, and because 
It is so important, and we, we pray that this morning that you would open our eyes to the truth of the word, the truth of scripture. Let us find today that you are speaking directly to each and every one of us. You are speaking to us through your word. I pray that you would lift the burdened heart, that you would give and grant forgiveness to the unforgiven. Lord, that there would be new birth and new creation in this place by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would turn hearts of every person to look to Jesus today and to find salvation, to find renewal, to find life. Help us, Lord. Teach us. Do what only you can do by your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. How incredible that must have been for Mary and for these other women that that witnessed this account, this scene, and for the disciples who heard the news. And of course, we need to understand that the time that had just passed between his death and that Sunday morning would have been chillingly and eerily quiet in a relative sense. All that had just happened and the the life that these men and women had lived with Jesus, walking with him, seeing him, hearing his words and his claims to be the very son of God, and even hearing from the, the mouth of Jesus that I will die, this body, they will take this body and I will be buried, and they didn't really get it. We know from the account of Scripture, it is undeniable that the resurrection happened. This is one eyewitness account. There are several eyewitness accounts, and we have over 500 eyewitnesses that saw the risen body of Jesus Christ after his confirmed death. That is earth-shattering. Always will be, always should be. There's not a person in this room that should let that thought go through your mind without some striking awe about it. That a man was dead and came to life. If that does not impress you today, there is something wrong. There is something wrong. It would have been absolutely incredible to witness But not only did he rise, not not only is it true that the resurrection happened, it's equally as important to know why it happened. What is the purpose of Christ being raised from the dead? I'm really glad that you asked, so I'm going to take the next 45 minutes to answer that. There are several reasons, according to Scripture, and I'm going to put all of these on the screen so that you can see them, but please take note, look at them in your Bible, let your eyes see these words. Romans 4, verse 24 and 25, begins to tell us some of the reasons why Christ was raised from the dead. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 4, 24 and 25, it, that is righteousness, will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's one reason. Romans 6, 4 
says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So those two scriptures are two among many that begin to tell us why Christ raised from the dead. We see words like trespasses and justification and glory and newness of life. We need to cling to these words. He was raised for our justification. He was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father that we too, as Christ, might walk in newness of life with resurrected bodies. That day is coming. But you need to see how important these are to the entire meaning of Christianity. Do you see how important they are? The justification of the sinner, the glorification of the sinner, of the sinner, the new life given, granted to one who was once dead. Christianity is not just a religion that one chooses and then tries for a while. It's not just an option among many, which is certainly the thought of our day, that you may choose Christianity or whatever other religion suits you for the time. It's not like that at all. Christianity is life lived to the glory of the risen Christ. It is life lived actively to the glory, the magnificence, the power that belongs to the risen Jesus. It is a response of an individual who has witnessed, who has come to believe that Christ is alive, though he was once dead. And it can be nothing less than this. Because by his sacrifice, sins were paid for. And by his resurrection, guilty sinners are justified. And the spiritually dead are made alive with him. Hallelujah. Glory to God that he has done this work through his resurrection. So, if the death of Christ and the shedding of his blood is the cause of our forgiveness, which we know it is that, why does Paul say that it is by the resurrection that we are justified? I think we should have this, this thought because scripture does go to great lengths to tell us what his death does. Because he was wounded for us, we are forgiven. So why then does he say it is by his resurrection that we are justified? And it's because both are necessary for the full justifying power of the gospel. Christ did not stay dead. Yes, his death is a justifying work, but his resurrection completes the justifying work that sinners like you and I need. Where death began the work, his rising from the dead finishes the justifying work. The resurrection was the proof that his sacrifice was sufficient and acceptable. Had he stayed in the grave, would that have been a different story? We would not have Christianity to this day. Had Christ not been raised, his death would be no more meaningful than the bulls and goats who were sacrificed year after year and could only provide temporary relief. He would have been no different than that. Had Christ not been raised, His death would be no different than that of any ordinary man with no efficacy to actually forgive sin and save souls. Had Christ not been raised, no human could ever be released from the powerful grip of sin and death. 
He was raised for our justification. Christ is risen. So much joy. The singing that we just sang, the songs, the truth, the joy on the heart of a Christian, it is warranted. You are allowed to be joyful. You're allowed to be the most joyful. A sinner who has made saint because of the precious blood of Christ and his resurrection from the grave. Who's clapping? Somebody should, yes. Is that a kid? (laughs) I thought maybe it was a little baby just playing or something. I don't know. Way to go. But this is so necessary that we see not only that his death was important, but that he was raised. And let's not forget that death is not just the end of life here on earth. According to the Bible, that's not what death truly is. That's often what we think about. When we think about death, we think of just the end of my life, in the end of your life. When you think about death or when there is the fear of death, what are you afraid of? Your life coming to an end. Then what's next? It's the mystery of it all. We are eternal creatures. That's why. And it's living in this fallen state that causes our minds to be deceived. We are a deceived people in that fallen state. It's only through Christ opening our eyes to see the truth that we are eternal beings and intended and designed to live in the presence of God. That's why death is such a horrible thing to think about. Because if someone is not right with God, then death is still final whether you're a Christian or not. You're just finally and fully condemned forever if you die in your sins. We need the resurrecting power of Christ. The Bible says that death is the just consequence of sin. Have you ever thought about death that way? If you've never thought about death in this way, that death is a consequence, it didn't always exist. It was God's response to rebellion and sin. It's a consequence. A consequence from God upon all humanity because of man's rebellion against the infinite holiness, goodness, and love of God. It's the wage that sinners like you and I deserve, and God justly pays out that wage. You should think about death more often, I think. As a Christian, we think about death, and it's really, like a, I've heard it said this way, it's like a graduation, right? You're just no longer here, we're in the presence of Almighty God. But death is something that we should think about. And it is through the lens of Scripture that we can properly see what it is and how to overcome it and who overcame it for us. And so we have this great enemy, which is our sin. Sin that makes death the sting that it is. It is like gangrene. It festers, it rots, it ruins, and it kills. Sin does this. Sin cannot be satisfied. It cannot be quenched. It cannot be controlled or mastered, so don't try to do that. You cannot master your sin. It needs to be subdued and laid waste, and you don't have the power to do that, and neither do I. It cannot be controlled or mastered by human will because it is deep within the heart of man causing our very nature to be in condemnation. That is what sin does. It is a nature issue. It's it's ingrained into human beings through the sin of Adam and Eve. We inherit that nature. But Christ, being raised for our justification, gives us the hope 
that death is not the end. You know, when you know that you are guilty of a crime and then realize that someone was willing to step in the way of that judge who was about to pronounce the guilty sentence and send you to your execution and take the punishment that you deserve, you know what your next thought should be and it is naturally on what authority and by what power and ability did that person just do that thing? Someone who's able to step in and in the place of the, say to the judge, I will take that. The just punishment that you and I deserve. So we should be asking, who is this Christ who stood in the way, who took the penalty, who, who paid the price for our sins? By what power and ability is the person able to do such a thing? And that is what the resurrection is for us. That is what the thought of the resurrection of Jesus is. It tells us the authority on which he says he can save you and forgive you and cleanse you and justify you and finally one day glorify you in the presence of his Father to live with him forever. It is the resurrection of Christ that is that proof. So when we say, who stood in the gap for me? Who is the one who took the punishment of God the Father, the just judgment upon sinners? Who did that? Jesus Christ. On what authority? His own authority. He is God. He had the power to raise from the dead. Because when one trusts in the death of Christ, you know, you also get the resurrection of Christ. When you trust in the death of Christ, you get also the resurrection because Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. So one of the things I am asking, calling, pleading with many of you in this room today is to trust in the death of Christ as a final payment, as a fully sufficient payment, a sacrifice for your sin, a payment you could not make but a payment that was due to God. But when you trust in the death of Christ, you get the resurrection with it. It was his vindication, and it is our vindication. It is the proof that Christ not only forgives sins, but gives the believer, every believer in Christ, the pronouncement of eternal freedom and the record of his righteous life imputed to us by faith. It is a pronouncement over our life. We get this. Jesus was vindicated at his, resur- at his resurrection, and so are we. We are vindicated. What is vindication? You probably already know it. I like to be reminded of things, even simple things. What is vindication? It is the proof that someone was right. The proof that someone was right. You ever wish you were vindicated? You ever been wrong about something or at least pegged as wrong and you knew you were right? And you're just, if if I could just be vindicated? Jesus made a lot of claims. He was crucified as a criminal. He was crucified and killed, murdered as though he was wrong, as though that everything that he had said and done was false. He was crucified as a blasphemer. And guess what? He rose from the grave. Everything he said was true. 
That means he is the savior of the world. That that means he is the only one who has the power to forgive sin, the right to forgive sin, the place, the authority to not only be the judge of sinners, but the gracious forgiver and redeemer of sinners who deserve his judgment. Vindication. And we need this today. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember that Christ's vindication is our vindication. He was right. Every single word. He is the way, the truth, and the life. His resurrection vindicates that. He was right. There's no other way. No other way to eternal life, no other way to forgiveness, no other way to happiness, joy, peace, contentment, satisfaction in this life. No other way. Jesus said it. I am the way, the way to the Father, the way to ultimate freedom and peace and reconciliation. He was right. He is the serpent crusher. He was right. Aren't you glad he was right on that one? The promise of old The very first prophecy of Christ that he would come and he would crush the head of the serpent with his heel and in the process, his heel would be bruised. He did that. He died on the cross. He suffered for our sins. He beat death with death and he was vindicated at his resurrection. He is the serpent crusher. He is the resurrection and the life so that he who believes in him will live forever. Live forever? Like, is anybody impressed by that? Live forever. It's what the whole world wants. And how many people are seeking eternal life, eternal, the, the prolonging of satisfaction through temporary things, through things that just cannot do the trick. They cannot satisfy. The evil in our world, the deception, the false religions that promise, they make promises But there's not a single leader, pioneer of any other religion in this world who died for their people and rose from the grave. It's only Jesus. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was right. When he was pronounced that and he was walking through Galilee and they said, behold, the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. He rose from the dead. He was right. He's the only one who can take away your sins. He is the cornerstone of the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. How do we know? Jesus was risen. He has the power over sin and death and the grave. He was right. He is the judge of all creation. He has the power to forgive sins and to reconcile us to God. Brothers and sisters, we share his vindication so much so that we too will one day be raised bodily and given new bodies. We will be raised just as Christ was raised. We will be given new bodies that are designed for a heavenly realm of glory, the likes of which cannot even be imagined. That's what's in store only for those who trust in Christ. There is no promise of new bodies. There is no promise of resurrection to eternal life for those who reject Jesus, for those who pretend to follow Jesus, 
For those who take the name of Jesus but continually through their life blaspheme the Lord with their life and their living and their sin. It is only those who are truly, genuinely converted by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is the fruit of that? A life lived to the glory of the risen Savior. Listen to what the scripture says about this glory. Romans 8.18. These are incredible scriptures. Just let these stick to you. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That glory held in comparison to the sufferings of this present world, not even worth comparing. Don't even take the time to try to compare it. What we see then will totally and completely cause our eyes to see these sufferings, the sufferings of this life, as light and momentary. Look at Romans 8, 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Look what comes next. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. How? Because of his resurrection. The glory that we receive is through the vindicating work of Jesus Christ. At his resurrection, he received a new body. We are told we will receive a body like Christ's in his resurrection. We are justified by grace, but we will one day be glorified. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, so we do not lose heart. Are you losing heart? Is there a part of your heart that is faint today? Think about this. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And finally, look at this. 1 Corinthians 15. 53 to 56, a famous resurrection passage from the Apostle Paul proving the power of Christ over the grave and over death and that we one one day will be raised. For this perishable body, verse 53, must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, listen to this, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see where victory is tied? Amen, 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 amen. You see where victory is tied? Victory is tied to the resurrection. Our perishable bodies will one day put on imperishable. The mortal will put on immortality. At the resurrection, 
which is still yet future, when all who trust in Christ are raised from the dead and the body is transformed and we are given new bodies at that point, victory is final and it is realized. The consummation of it all comes to pass. And we now, I believe we should agree with this now. Don't wait for that day. We agree with it now. Death, where is your victory? We should be able to stare death right in the face and all who would threaten us with death or evil and say, you have no victory over me because Christ is risen and he was vindicated. There's there's a truth that I want us to see this morning additional to what we've already looked at. Not only do we get to rejoice in the truth of our resurrected king today and every day, the question is, how are you stewarding this knowledge as you live in this world today? How are you taking care of that knowledge as a Christian? If you're a Christian, I'm speaking to you, New City family or any visitors who are in Christ, how are you stewarding that knowledge? How does the resurrection of Christ The risen Lord, the vindicated Christ who has given to you his vindication and his victory is yours. How are we stewarding that? How is it affecting every facet and area of our living? The theme of our day seems to be, correct me if I'm wrong, but what threat is looming around the next corner? You ever think like that? Brothers and sisters, what's coming next? What tactic of the enemy, what evil, what attack, what train derailment, what chemical spill with what political power, what media blitz of anti-Christian propaganda? It's in our face, is it not? What opinion will Satan's servants spew next with the one goal of distracting God's people from what is true? Maybe you've even thought about this today. Maybe something went across your screen or you're just worried, you're thinking about the threats that are around us. Well, I'm going to remind you of something. If there's one thing that Satan would seek to do, knowing that he cannot destroy the church ultimately and fully, it would be to render us ineffective through fear. But... But, listen to this, there is no greater threat to sin, Satan, and the evils in our world than the resurrection of Jesus and the Christian who actually believes it. That's the one question I really want you to leave here with. What am I going to do with that knowledge? The knowledge of all that we're thinking about. Christ is risen. He is victorious. He was vindicated. I am vindicated. I cannot ultimately die. My body will one day put on imperishable. There's not a thing that anyone can do to a Christian that destroys the soul of a Christian. Eternal life has been promised. So what do I mean by that, that there's no greater threat? Well, we do not represent the defensive side. No matter the suffering, the death, or the persecution laid against the church through history, every Christian lives forever. (laughs) Sorry, Satan has never won. Never. It's just not possible. We look at history and we, what about the death of all the Christians? They're in glory. 
And one day they will receive new bodies. They live forever. We need to stop living as though the world is a threat. And only, the only way that we can do this is to trust, fully trust in the risen Christ, the King who has gone before us through death, bearing our sin. He was judged in our place and he disarmed the cosmic rulers and authorities who opposed God's plan and God's people. He disarmed them. Church, we have the victory. According to 2 Corinthians 2.14, says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Christians spread the fragrance of Christ. And the way this victory spreads further and further is through the winning of souls to Christ's kingdom. The victory spreads further every time a person says, I surrender, I believe, I trust you, Christ. You are God and King. You who rose from the grave are God. And you are the only way to my salvation. Every time a sinner surrenders his or herself to the winning team, and I can say unapologetically, it is the winning team. Again, there is no other team with a forerunner and leader that has risen from the grave. Only Jesus Christ. It is the winning team. All others are deceit. All others are a distraction. There are not many roads to God. There's only one. It is Jesus Christ. I do know that God is sovereign. And whatever road you are on, whatever thing you are seeking, I do believe God can use anything to eventually bring you to the truth. And the truth is Jesus Christ. Whatever road you are on, whatever thing you have been pursuing that cannot and has not and will not ever satisfy you, save you, come to Christ. Join the winning team. He is king. (laughs) And every time that happens, the victory chant grows louder. So a final exhortation to the believer, and then I want to give just an invitation quickly. So church, just remember this. You cannot lose can't lose. You will feel weakness and there will be hardship and pain in this life and there will be days that feel dark and perhaps you are in a season like that right now. What do you mean I can't lose? I feel like I'm losing. Remember, we are not led by our feelings. Our feelings are not the authority in our life. We are led by our faith in the king who was dead and is now alive and has disarmed the powers of darkness from ever accusing us again. What the world needs is for the church to be the church as it was in the beginning, a family of followers whose allegiance is to Christ and to each other and whose mission is made clear by the gospel that we speak. Our mission is made clear by the gospel that changes us and gives a new heart and a new life. No more living as though everything is a threat to you. I'm gonna challenge you with that. No more living as though everything is a threat to you. I see the same things that you're seeing. I'm speaking this to myself too. It is easy to just wait for the next threat. In light of scripture though, are we really on that side? Are we really on that team? No, we are on the offensive team. And I don't mean just to be offensive, but we are God's army. We have God. And if God is for us, who can be against us?
No more living that way. But live from the victory that Christ has won by his cross and his resurrection. It's my my exhortation to the church, to you believers here. Cling to that. Seek the scriptures and let it challenge you. I want to give an invitation to those who are here that are not in Christ. You have not yet believed the gospel. I'm going to ask the band to also come up and be ready to lead us at the end. I want you to hear me, and I want every believer in this room to be praying, and I want you who are here that you are not in Christ, you have not believed. There's no shame in you being here. We are so glad that you're here, but everybody is praying for you, and if you are here and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, here's what the scriptures say concerning you today. I just want you to hear God's word. Romans 10, 8 to 10, listen to me. The word is near to you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Today, you can trust in Christ by turning from your sin, confessing Jesus as the risen Lord, along with all of us here who have confessed that. You've heard the rejoicing, you've heard the clapping and the singing, You're not there yet. I understand. What's the point? But you need to be in Christ. You need to be transformed. Your heart is not right. But Christ can redeem you and set you free. And it happens, and it can happen in an instant of divine, miraculous power You can be made into a new creation, free from all guilt, in the very moment that you say, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. Let it come out of your mouth. Let it be even in your mind. I trust you, God. I trust that what you have done is what I need. I need salvation. I need my sins forgiven. Free from guilt, made a new creation, forgiven of all your sin, reconciled to your heavenly Father forever and ever and ever. Peace with God. Maybe you're here today, and like so many that we have been seeing lately at New City Church, you say that you are a Christian, but you are walking in disobedience. Maybe that's who you are today. Maybe you're not the non-believer. Maybe you have confessed Christ in your life, but you're, you're living in disobedience. And one of the primary ways a Christian lives in perpetual disobedience is not living in fellowship with the church. Is not being connected to a body. So we are so glad that you're here. May this be the first day of a long season of growth in Christ and overcoming sin because you don't have to do it alone. And you can't do it alone. You are designed to be part of a body. Stop distancing yourself. Stop it. It's not biblical. And the risen Christ, it's on his authority that I speak, not my own. We are Christ's body. 
And every believer is a part of that body, crucial, meaningful, valued, loved. Wherever you are, Christian, non-Christian, maybe you've backslidden, you need to repent of sin. For all of us, our response today is to repent today and, and look to Christ. But for many of you, it's to come to God for the first time or to come back to him. To just come back and say, I'm ready. I'm, I want to follow after you with all of my heart. And I need you. And it's a simple relenting of your own will and power and saying, Jesus, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you. So it's time to repent. There is grace for everybody in this room. Grace. It's not a forceful coercing of the will. It is a gracious God who reveals to our sinful nature, you are in sin. You need righteousness, and I have righteousness to give. Only Christ. So I pray that you respond in our prayer, the prayer of this church, the prayer leading up to Easter Sunday, knowing that you might be here, is that you would repent of sin and trust in Christ and be saved and set free. It's grace that is freely given, freely to us, but at a great cost, the cost of Christ's death on the cross. So I urge you, whoever you are this morning, come and believe in Christ. And I think every Christian in this room would say, ah, I needed to hear that too. I needed to hear this today. This is for me too. I need Christ every day. Will you guys pray with me? And while I pray, the band will get ready to play. We'll do two more songs. We'll worship. We'll sing. But as we pray, if you do need to get right with God, I don't have to do anything to, to make you. Or, and there's really nothing that, no, there's nothing that anybody can really do. You and, it's between you and God. The next step is very much having to do with other people. Because if you say something to God and then you go home and then you just stay by yourself, you are immediately walking in disobedience. Following Christ is to be part of his kingdom and his church and his people. Amen? So let's pray. And if you need to come to Christ today, that's what my prayer is going to be for you. Father, I pray that you would draw people today, anyone here in this room, a father, a mother, a a child, a teenager, somebody who was invited by by someone who's been begging them, maybe somebody who's been dragged here every Sunday by by their ear, However they got here, I'm just so thankful. We are thankful. I pray that today they would have come face to face today with the truth that unless they repent, until they repent and turn of their sin to trust in Jesus, there is no life for them. There is no life. It's not truly living. But if any man be in Christ, he has made a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Would you give new life in this room today? Would you also grant repentance and a returning to fellowship to maybe several, maybe some families, maybe some people that are here that just know that they've not been walking in obedience? Pray that this would be the beginning of a lifelong journey of growing in Christ, fighting against sin, being 
a warrior of the kingdom of Christ, making a difference, being fruitful for the gospel in this community. Oh, how our community needs Jesus Christ and Christians who truly believe in the resurrection. God, draw people to yourself today. What a prayer might sound like if you are wanting to walk with Jesus, but you're not sure what that is. There is no formula. I really don't want you to think there's a formula. But I do want to lead a prayer that what something might sound like if you are on that brink and you just want to pray something. So pray with me in this. Father, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you. And because of that sin, the consequence upon my life, I know now, according to your word, is eternal death and separation. So would you draw me into your loving arms to see and embrace and believe that Christ is who he says he is. He is the son of God who was crucified for me, who was dead after bearing the weight of your wrath And after three days, he raised from the grave to victorious new life so that I might be forgiven and justified and made free and given new life forever and ever. And I want to follow you. I want to live for you. Help me to be your disciple. Help me to live for you in the life and the bonds of peace in the local church. Please help me, God. Come into my life and change me and save me. In Christ's holy name. from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms, or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.